Welcome to I Should Go. Sometimes, no matter how hard you try to make a job or a career work, you just have to go. I'm Melissa, a recovering academic, and I want to know why other women of color have felt like they should go too. My guest today is Joanna Smith. We've known each other since 1995 when we met at college. Fun fact, neither of us do the thing that the school trained us to do. I thought it would be great to learn more about why she decided she should go or leave engineering. Welcome, Joanna. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm doing good. Um, And just so that everyone is caught up to where we are, we've had a number of technological challenges, but I think we have figured it out. (laughs) So so we are ready to go trusting in the cloud that all is going to work out. Um, And so with that, I wanted to just go ahead and give you a chance to introduce yourself. And so as we get started, what would you want people to know about you? Well, uh, like you said, my name is Joanna Smith. Uh, I was born and raised in Gary, Indiana, which is, in terms of the nearest major city, it's about 30 miles away from Chicago. So in a lot of ways, I consider Chicago to be my hometown as well. Um, But at my heart, at my core, I really kind of just consider myself to be and around the way, girl, shout out to LL Cool J. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, 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 I mean, I think I have strengths just like everybody else does. But in general, the way I move and operate through the world, I just try to be um, as authentic and easygoing and just try to be the best version of me that I could possibly be as I go and, and maneuver through life. Um, I'm pretty, I, I, I I don't think there's a, a lot of, because I'm very much an introvert, some people kind of consider me to be a little bit more mysterious, like they don't know much, but like they can't read a lot from me, but Mm -hmm. in general, I'm just kind of like, I'm what you see is what you get. Um, (laughs) so I'm pretty laid back, pretty easy going. I try to be as thoughtful and considerate as possible with everyone that I engage with and in the end I just want to be the best version of me and help others be the best version of them. Well thank you for that introduction Um, and I think people might also find it then fascinating that two introverts have managed to keep up uh, uh, like a 20-year friendship or probably even longer it's like what what do y'all talk about (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you just sit on the phone and commute with one another in silence. Like, what is that? But we have managed to uh, pull it out and keep it together. And so one of the questions um, that I have for you is I was interested in learning a little bit more about your educational journey and actually how you decided to pursue engineering and to connect it to where you grew up. Is there anything about like being from Gary that influenced how you thought about what you wanted to major in when you went to college? I actually don't think there's anything directly to re- related to my actual hometown, mm-hmm. but I think that um, 
education wise, I, I was always a good student and I kind of did well in just about all of my classes, but I actually really did enjoy math. And it seemed to have been, if you were good in math and had some aptitude for science, then that just seemed to be the direction that a lot of people pushed in. Um, for me specifically, though, I was in ninth grade and taking Algebra one. And my math teacher, Mr. Stratton, to this day, he's my favorite teacher. He's passed on, but he's still, I consider him to be my favorite teacher. Um, he had told us about a summer program at Purdue University. And Purdue is in West Lafayette, Indiana. And that's, that's less than two hours away from Gary. So pretty accessible. But there was a summer, a week-long pre-college summer program, diversity initiative, related to engineering. It's, it's called PREFACE. I don't remember what it all stands for now. P-R-E-F-A-C-E. So I'm sure the two E's had something to do with engineering. <laughs> but, um, but it was a week-long program. And Mr. Stratton had shared that opportunity with our class. And I decided that I would apply to it. Now, I knew I liked math, but I distinctly remember thinking, I like math and I wonder if there's a way to use math in a career without becoming a mathematician because I didn't like math that much because it, it just seemed like you could go super deep with it. And I just felt like I didn't have the interest in numbers like that. And so when he told me about this program, I applied, I got accepted. So I spent a week down on Purdue's campus and that's where we were introduced to all the different concepts of engineering and different disciplines and stuff like that. To be honest, I will say that what probably hooked me the most was just the campus experience. And then I remember being exposed to, you know, Legos, they, they, have, they have evolved in some really interesting ways from when I was introduced to Legos as a little one. Um, but by the time I got into high school, they became much more sophisticated where you could build all kinds of different structures and stuff. And so we did a lot of that at the camp. And that ended up being that to me, that was just so cool. And from there, I was hooked onto the idea of engineering. And I pretty much held firm to it. And once I had decided that it was just a matter of deciding well, what school I wanted to go to at that point in time. And but how I chose engineering, that is essentially how I chose it. I liked math and then I got introduced to engineering through a pre-college diversity initiative. So I can't think of then a bigger switch from being introduced to math and getting to spend a summer at Purdue to the college experience that we both had, which was basically mm -hmm. like the, the anti Big Ten in some way, like no sports, um, no, you know, like large organized social mm -hmm. activities. And so um, how did you then end up deciding to go to this like small engineering college in Flint, Michigan from there? 
Yeah, that's that totally was not what I intended. During the 90s, there was this huge push for HBCUs. And I had in my mind, every year, our city at the Community Career Center, they would host college fairs and things like that. And um, so they had a Black college fair during that time. And I remember going, and this was after deciding on engineering, and I wanted to um, I wanted to attend an HBCU. And so essentially, while I was at the college fair, I just looked at schools that were strong in engineering. And the top two that really intrigued me was North Carolina A&T and Tuskegee. And Tuskegee kind of stood out to me a little bit more. One, because of the Tuskegee Airmen. I've kind of always been fascinated with pilots and all of that stuff. So the prestige that came with that, that would drew me to Tuskegee. My mother's side of the family is from Alabama. And there, I don't know how true this is, but I might have some familial um, connection to Tuskegee. But I haven't dug that deep into my ancestry to know all of that. But all of that kind of intrigued me about Tuskegee, but I also had an interest in A&T, primarily just because of its location. North Carolina intrigued me, even though I had never been there by at, at that point in time. But it mm-hmm. just seemed like it was a cool place, um, not too far south. Um, it seemed to have all of the trimmings of what a state could offer. You could experience all four seasons. You got the coast, you got the inland arena and all of that stuff. So it just seemed like a really nice place. And A&T with them being a strong engineering school, it just seemed like it would be a good fit for me. So I had it pretty much locked in my mind and in my heart that I was going to go to A&T. And Then somehow another college fair happened and I was thinking it was another black college fair, maybe a year or two later. Um, So that's why I attended, but it just turned out to be a fair, an overall college fair, not not just unique to HBCUs. And so I just decided, well, I'm here anyway, so I just browse around. And so I just looked at the schools that had an interest, that had a strong um, engineering program. And the school that we ended up going to was there. So Ricky Brown, he was there recruiting. And he told me about the summer six-week AIM program. And that was for rising seniors. So you were finishing your junior year, going into your senior year. And I was in that situation. So I was kind of like, okay, well, six weeks, that's cool. So I I participated in that program and had a really good time. But I distinctly remember telling Ricky, Dwight, and all those who coordinated the program that I was not going to that school. I don't care what y'all tell me. I had my mind set on going to A&T. And that's that's pretty much what I left that program thinking. And then um, 
what's unique about our school, Kettering GMI, is the co-op program. And the thing that they always sold people on was it's a five-year program, but you graduate with two and a half years of work experience by alternating every other three months between work and school. So throughout my senior year, that kind of just stayed in the back of my mind. And for whatever reason, that ended up being a lot more compelling to me. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why, <laughs> but at that point in time, that just seemed to be much, much more compelling for me. And I ultimately decided that that's what I was going to do. And I actually never mailed my A&T application and I had completed it, had it filled out. That's when we were still doing like paper applications. So everything mm-hmm. wasn't online. And so I still had it. And I remember thinking to myself, if I really don't like it at GMI, then I can always transfer. So I don't know if you knew this, but I actually held on to my A&T application. It stayed with me between going back and forth between work and school terms. I held on to it until the end of our sophomore year. I I did not know that. (laughs) I, I finally threw it away. I think after that, but I, I held on to it for the first two years because I hadn't completely let go of the idea. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did not know that. But one of the things I've enjoyed about um, using this podcast as a way to talk to some people who are already in my life is I learn these little like tidbits um, mm-hmm. that you know, like people, you know, maybe weren't broadcasting or even if they weren't, even if they were broadcasting somehow, it didn't get to me. Um, mm-hmm. But knowing that actually connects to something I wanted to follow up with you on. Um, and so I'm curious as to how you would describe your college experience and what you liked about studying engineering there and you liked it enough never to fill out that ANT application, but were there also perhaps things that you didn't necessarily like about studying engineering there? I think the things that I realized I didn't like about it were all, I were now all in hindsight in the moment. I don't think I thought too much of anything about it other than this was just the structure that we were in. And I wasn't thinking about what it would be like at another school to have a different type of college experience. This is what this is what I committed to. This is what I'm doing. So I just didn't think a whole lot else about it. Um, What I did like and I think in the end, (laughs) it may not have helped me later on. But I did like the rotation back and forth. Um, As soon as I got tired of one, it was time to switch. So every three months. there was a rotation and mm-hmm. um and that was kind of jarring once we graduated and we didn't have that rotation anymore to realize that this is what we're doing full time and so I had to I had to come out of that at some point because and have this recognition that this really is a, a much bigger commitment um but I did like that and I think that that's what made the intensity a little bit more tolerable because those three months, those 12 weeks, a lot was jam-packed into that time. 
And so it was just this feeling of let's just persevere and get through it. I do think it being a smaller school was helpful considering I, I am an introvert, but so getting to know people and getting to know them well and feeling connected um, was helpful. I don't know if I would have, how I would have fared at a larger school. Um, I tend to think that I would have been just fine, but I'm not, I, I just don't know. Um, mm-hmm. So, and the fact that I still have a lot of those same connections and that they remember us. That's the thing that gets me, that they see all these students year in and year out, but they actually remember me. <laughs> and, um, and we could pick up conversations wherever we left off. And that's, I, I just, I just tend to think that that wouldn't have happened at a larger school. Um, so I, and looking back on it, I realized that I probably would have enjoyed being at a school that had a little bit more um, of a social agenda. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But at the time, I I just don't think I thought anything of it. I just kind of had my head down. It's like, this is what we got to do. And I also think that that was a function of the co-op, the work part, because Mm -hmm. I don't know what, I don't remember the details of all of your co-op experiences, but things actually did feel intense where I worked. And so um, so I felt like that caused me to mature a little bit faster. And um, because things were just a little bit more intense. And, and so I think that that just probably translated once I was in school, like you just got to focus, keep your head down and finish and do what you got to do. So I wanted to dig a little bit more uh, deeply into what you actually did after college. And so Mm -hmm. um, as you were mentioning, you know, we had three months in the classroom and then we would rotate to our co-op experience. And for me, because I was, I'm from Michigan, that meant that I, I just used to go either back home or to some place that was close enough to home that I could like drive from my parents' house to work. But since you were in Indiana, you had employment in Indiana. And um, so now you're, you know, as you say, like back home and three months come, but you're not coming back to Flint, Michigan. And so were you working at the same place you had been stationed as a co-op student? And um, as you're working at that job, at what point do you start to think about changing careers? Well, I worked in Marion, Indiana at the General Motors facility there, which was about 150 miles away from Gary. So I actually did not live at home while I worked. So mm-hmm. that that was a different experience for me. You, among other friends from school, they actually did go back home mm-hmm. and did their work terms, but that wasn't the case for me. Um, so I, that, I think that was just a different learning experience, learning and growth experience in and of itself. Um, so, um, 
I would, to be honest, I actually knew when I, before I graduated that I was not going to persist in engineering. I didn't know when I would pivot and I didn't know to what extent, what would drive me to do it. But I knew that I was going to. I had this feeling that I just didn't care for this material that much. What was interesting, though, was because I was strong in math, I would continually tutor. So on my work terms, I would volunteer at my church um, that I was going to while in Marion, and I would tutor. And I found myself going into like guidance counselor mode with them because one of the activities that we were part of, NSBE, National Society of Black Engineers, I remember when I attended my first conference, I was like, wow, there's so much we can do within engineering. I want to tell people abilities and how I wanted, and and I didn't necessarily have the idea for it right then, but I just was like, I want to expose people to this. There's so much we can do. There's so many different possibilities. So I remember that moment very, very clearly. And it seemed like, I don't remember exactly when in the program. I know it was closer to graduating, but I don't know exactly when, if it was during my our third year or our fourth year there, that it just clicked to me that I'm not going to finish my career in engineering. Mm-hmm. And I remember the idea of seeds kind of being planted in my head along the lines of guidance counseling or something like that. But I felt like I was committed to getting this degree. I'm going to do it. How I would pivot to all this other stuff, I don't know. And I honestly mm-hmm. didn't worry about it. It was I, I knew I wanted to finish this experience. I didn't know what the end date was going to be, but I knew I wanted to finish it out. And so essentially, that's what it was that I, I set out on this engineering path. I was close to finishing. I got the degree. I was going to work until I knew when it was time to switch to something else. And that's essentially um, the way I approached it. Um, So in terms of what I did after college, I worked in a number of different roles. I did continue with this at the GM facility. I had considered going other places. But this is one of the regrets that I have. Uh, you remember mm-hmm. somehow we got it in our mind that we could graduate six months early. Yeah. Um, and so once we set our sights on that, we just went ahead and did it. Uh, mm-hmm. I would have much rather taken that time to look and pursue other opportunities. So mm-hmm. I felt like I was on this time crunch and I had the full time offer. Once they realized, once I told GM that I was going to be graduating in December, um, they essentially had extended me an offer going into that last school term. So I that was the only offer I had on the table, and that last term was pretty intense. I didn't have time to do a real job search, and yeah. I had thought of other places to apply to, but I just couldn't give it any sincere effort because I was trying to graduate and it seemed like I needed to fit, just go with them. This is the offer that's on the table. Um, so I, I went with that. 
And it's a manufacturing facility, a metal fabricating facility. We provided a lot of the sheet metal parts for many of General Motors vehicles. And it could be sheet metal from a a good percentage of the exterior of the car, as well as to some of the smaller intricate pieces. Mm -hmm. And so essentially we were an internal supplier to the assembly plant. And so after I graduated, I worked in a number of roles. I started in maintenance as a skilled trades supervisor, which that's totally not something I ever envisioned for myself. (laughs) But I did learn a lot as to what it means to work with people and different different trades because I was in a member of management and they were the hourly workforce. So working in a union environment, there was just a lot of different dynamics that I um, just never, that never occurred to me. So I learned about all of those things, Um, but I didn't care for that role. Um, When you say maintenance, people have in their minds like janitorial type stuff but that's totally not what it was it was maintaining Mm -hmm. the equipment (laughs) Mm -hmm. and so you got these large I don't know how much they weigh but a lot presses and all that stuff to stamp out these metal parts and the engineering behind that to maintain those that machinery that's really what our focus was but from there I ended up working I I pivoted from working on the floor with the skilled tradesmen back into the engineering offices. And I didn't care for that because the fast pace of working on the manufacturing floor, I just got accustomed to that. And, but the one role that I really, really did like was when I became a reliability engineer and I actually focused on the vehicle. That was actually fun to me. I didn't care to work for the equipment that we use to make the vehicle, but the actual vehicle itself. Mm -hmm. So the different bot, the the parts of the car that we stamped out and created, that was actually pretty cool to me. Um, Mm -hmm. So I always thought that if I had to stay, that's the role I would have continued. But... One key thing, and I don't want to ramble, but one of the key things that really stood out to me was, and this was the benefit of being an introvert and just listening to people, people would just tell me stuff. I wouldn't ask them anything. I know so much about people's lives, and I'm just like, mm-hmm. why are they telling me all this stuff? <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. I would, I mean, I, I promise I didn't ask them any questions. I would just say, hey, how you doing? And then somehow they found me to be a trusted person. And then they would end up telling me like their whole life story. Mm-hmm. I would just sit there and listen. And this was both my peers, superiors, as well as those who actually reported to me. And I was mm-hmm. just like, and I would sit there kind of fascinated on a number of fronts. One fascinated at their stories and then fascinated at the fact that they chose to tell me this stuff. And mm-hmm. I didn't ask. So I was like, well, what is it about me that people feel comfortable telling me all this stuff? But one of the things that a lot of people would tell me is they would tell me how much they hated their jobs. <laughs> and I just remember thinking, okay, this is really a strange 
thing because you can actually do something about it. And and I met people that and they were across the spectrum. There were some who were pretty resigned to this. Well, this is what I have to do for right now. And then there were folks who were really angry and that mm-hmm. showed up in their work. And and then there were those, I mean, there was just a whole host of things. And I just remember being very intrigued by all of that. But one of the things I remember telling myself was, I don't ever want to be in that position. I don't want to be the angry person coming to work. I don't want to be this mean person making everybody life, everybody else's life miserable on the job because they're not doing what they want to do. I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. So if I ever find myself where I'm not happy, and I'm really dissatisfied that I would do whatever it took to get out of it. So mm-hmm. I remember making that commitment to myself because I just I saw what it looked like on all these other people. And I didn't want that for myself. So sure enough, when the time came, I held fast to that and I did what I needed to do in order to switch. One of the things that's interesting as I hear you uh, recount that time in your life is, so I left GMI actually thinking I would stay in computer science and it was just more of a question of how could I get to the type of work environment where like computer science, where I would want to do that type of work, whereas Mm -hmm. you left knowing that you weren't going to do engineering. And yet somehow I think I left computer science and went to grad school much more quickly than you did. And so, mm-hmm. um, cause basically within a year and a half or two years, I think I was already, um, back in grad school. And I remember that you were still working at points like working for general motors mm-hmm. when we would be hanging out when I was in grad school. Mm-hmm. And so, what do you remember? I'm sure I'm sure you remember. So what uh, time frame was it when you decided to go ahead and make the career move? And then if you could actually just go ahead and tell everybody else who hasn't known you for 20 some odd years, uh, like what that move and the path to becoming a, um, a career counselor or like getting that counseling psychology degree was. Well, I think over, well, I, we graduated December 99 and I ended up leaving to go to grad school in January, 2005. So that was essentially five years. Mm -hmm. And I would say I actually, or I had attempted to leave GM pretty early on, but I wasn't ready to leave industry and the Mm -hmm. corporate world and stuff like that. But that was a failed attempt. So I think there was something about working full time in the plant environment that I just, it was really intense. And I think that first year let me know how sheltered I actually was, even as a co-op student. And Mm -hmm. there was a lot of things I just simply did not like. But that attempt was not successful. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I kind of was just like, you know what, I'm here. and. from a spiritual standpoint, I was kind of like, well, I must be here for a reason. So I'm just going to relax and chill out and just do the best that I can. And, and so that kind of took a lot of pressure off of me. 
But there were still some things that rang true was I didn't care for the intensity of the place. I was like, we're making cars. We're not saving lives. <laughs> but everything felt like um, a five alarm fire. And they even had signs up saying a sense of operate with a sense of urgency. And I just remember like, why? These mm-hmm. are cars. I could almost get it if we were making ambulances but we're making cars, (laughs) regular passenger cars. And so I was like, why do we have to break our necks for these things? Why is this so intense? So there was just certain aspects of the culture that I just never was on board with. And I finally decided, you know what? I don't like cars this much to put myself through all of this. And I definitely don't like this environment that I'm not getting much out of it. I'm not, I'm not feeling rewarded. I'm not feeling fulfilled. I'm learning all these things about human behavior and people and all that stuff. And these things are not encouraging to me. Um, so I was like, I, I just didn't want it anymore. And I, like I said, I remember making that commitment to myself that if I ever found myself in that situation, I would do whatever it took to get out. So um, I had moved, I had switched from first shift to second shift, which that actually ended up being a good thing for me, um, mm-hmm. because I'm not a morning person either. I always we had to, I had to be at work at six o'clock in the morning, and sometimes before, and I was like, who came up with this work schedule? I was like, <laughs> twenty four is evenly divisible by eight. We could have we could have made we could have created any eight hour block of time that would have been just fine who came up with this six o'clock business so <laughs> so I hated that but going to second shift was good for me I felt really good I became a lot more physically active again and all of that but the downside to that is that I ended up tearing my ACL mm. and I I said that to say I ended up having surgery And I ended up having surgery the summer of 2004. And I didn't realize I was going to be out for the entire summer. And I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't going to return to work until Labor Day. I thought I was just going to be out for a couple of weeks, like maybe six weeks at the most. But I remember telling myself, well, while I am out for these three months, I am going to figure out my exit strategy. I am going to figure Mm -hmm. it out. I remember saying to myself, I am not going to step back, step foot back on General Motors property without knowing how I'm going to leave this place. Mm-hmm. So being off for those three months, let me, gave me the time and the space to think, to research, to read, to figure out, figure it all out. And another interesting thing was, thankfully, I had pretty good benefits. So I was able to get 100% of my pay during that time. That was really the only reminder that I worked for General Motors. During those three months, I didn't think twice about that place. <laughs> so I, I, uh, I was like, that should tell you something, that I'm not thinking anything about it. The only I remember running, because I lived in a small town. Small, Marion was small. So I remember running into some people at Walmart that worked at the plant. And I was just like, those were the only reminders that I worked there, that I actually had employment there. Otherwise, I 
I just felt no real connection to the place. And so to me, that was just another data point that says, yeah, it's time to go because you're not even thinking about this place mm-hmm. other than the basics of getting your pay, your paycheck and all of that stuff. Um, so essentially, I coached myself <laughs> and I started to realize that I had a knack for doing this and and helping people figure things out. I knew I wanted to help people figure out what they wanted to do such that they're not, like I said, these angry people. Or at least that they could come to peace with their career choices. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't exactly sure how to do that. Um, I didn't really want a full psychology degree because I felt like there was a lot more in psychology that I really did not want to know, stuff that might have been a little bit too heavy for me. And Mm -hmm. then I learned that I could actually just get a degree in counseling. And I thought I wanted to relocate. Well, there actually was a program local to me, but I thought it was going to be very hard to do, go to school and work at the same time. Um, I did end up taking a prerequisite course there because I needed to take a statistics class for social sciences. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had in mind that I wanted to move to Detroit. I initially thought that I would move to Detroit while working for General Motors, but that ultimately did not turn out to be the case. Um, so I started looking at schools for graduate school in the Detroit area. Mm-hmm. And I don't, thinking back on it now, I don't know that my research was all that in depth. And I was really just looking for counseling programs, those places that I could get an actual counseling degree, mm-hmm. um, not psychology, not social work and all of that. And I came across the University of Detroit Mercy and they had a program that was specifically counseling. And they had three main tracks, community counseling, um, school counseling, um, secondary school counseling, and then substance abuse counseling. So I was like, well, I'm definitely not doing substance abuse. (laughs) And I didn't want to work and I didn't want to work with minors. So community counseling was the way to go. And plus, that was the one that it just gave me the broader range and Uh career counseling ended up falling within that. So. I applied to University of Detroit Mercy. Um, I signed up to to register locally to take that prerequisite course. And I remember submitting my application for January admission. And ultimately I was accepted. I got the notification. It was a very small school as well. I got the Mm -hmm. notification just before Thanksgiving. I think in 2004. So I ended up giving my notice shortly thereafter. And then uh, the first couple, the first week or so in 2005 was my last week with General Motors. And then I packed up and moved to Detroit. Couple more questions for you. Um, What have you done with the counseling degree or, or I guess like how have you been able to put that to use? Well, interestingly enough, I knew I wanted to do career counseling. I didn't know what environment to do it in when I went into grad school. So I was thinking about a number of a number of different possibilities going in. 
but I was fortunate enough in my career counseling class, we actually had to do a project and my team had to do a project career counseling on college campuses. And so I was like, well, why don't we just explore what we do here at our school? And my task was to interview people at our school's career center. And essentially that's what I went in to do. And I actually didn't make an appointment. I just thought I could walk in and do that. Now, thinking back on it, I was kind of like, yeah, I should have called or emailed and requested time. <laughs> but I just kind of showed up one day. And it's really a, 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 a weird thing as to how that all happened. Because I only came to campus on the days that I went to school. And so I just thought, I would, and our program was at night. So I... <clears throat> Um, decided to come to school a little bit early during normal business hours to visit the career center. And this was on a Thursday, but they closed the office. And I thought that was really strange because I was like, they're closing early on a Thursday. I could see them closing early on a Friday heading into the weekend. But why are they closed on a Thursday? Um, but that following Tuesday, I was like, well, I'll go back early and try to reach them again but then I thought no I'm just gonna call but then there was something in me that was like no you need to go so I went and I explained to the receptionist while I was why I was there and then she was like hang on for a minute so she went back and got this other lady I think her title was associate director at the time I don't remember what her title was but she came out to inquire more as to why I was there and Mm -hmm. She was like, and she was just curious. And she said, well, what's your undergraduate degree in? And I said, engineering. And she said, really? She got like super excited. And I just remember thinking, okay, this is very strange. (laughs) Why is this lady getting so excited about this? And then I said, yeah, I went to GMI. And she said, really? And normally I don't tell people where I went to school because I always have to explain it because they've never heard of it. But Mm -hmm. I figured since I was actually in Michigan, in Detroit, people were much more familiar with the small school in Flint. Mm -hmm. So I said, yeah, I went to GMI. And she was like, really? And she was like, hold on, I'll be right back. And I'm standing there like, what just happened here? (laughs) So... What was unique about that about UD Mercy was that they had a mandatory, they had a co-op program for their, they had a co-op program period, but it was mandatory for their engineering, architecture, and nursing majors. Okay. And I find out in the conversation a few minutes later that the engineering co-op coordinator had turned in her letter of resignation that very morning. Okay. And and I was just kind of, and they were just saying, man, we wish we had an engineer. We wish we had somebody who understood co-op. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, so that's why this lady was responding this way to me. Because she was like, where did you come from? (laughs) Like, we were just (laughs) saying this. And I'm, I mean, and I'm standing there in the waiting room, like, this is really not what I expected, but okay. Um, And then uh, so I go back because the person I ultimately needed to talk to, she had the LPC license and that's who I needed to talk to for the program. 
So they finally bring me back and they were just like, I know you're wondering what's going on. I was like, yeah, most people don't respond to me quite like that. I mean, I've, I've gotten the you go girl, you got your engineering degree type stuff, but most people just don't get that excited. So I'm just kind of like, what's this all about? And so they proceeded to tell me that the engineering co-op coordinator had turned in their letter, letter of resignation and how they were just talking about how they wish they had someone who was an engineer who understood co-op. And in you walk in the door, they said, we don't even know if we'll have permission to refill this position just yet. We expect that we will, but we would love for you to apply. Could you send us over your resume? And I'm sitting there like, what? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> all of this stuff is like, huh? And, and they said, we won't pay a lot, but you'll get your tuition waived. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, that was very helpful because this was a private school and I was paying for it out of pocket and which meant I was going to go into a lot more debt for it Mm -hmm. and I was like well I wasn't really interested in working full-time and going to school but I was like well if I get the rest of my graduate education paid for well shoot why not Mm -hmm. so (laughs) that was like July and I ended up starting in September of that year. And that was my whole introduction to working in higher ed. And I realized I loved it. Mm -hmm. I loved working on a college campus. I loved that stage of development with students. And I was like, yeah, this is the place. Higher ed is the place for me. And Mm -hmm. I didn't the idea of doing private practice, nope. The idea of working for some community agency to help people, nope. Working in the college environment, working with students, helping them navigate that particular stage of their lives and just being in a learning environment just mm-hmm. fit me to a T. And for that, I am forever grateful. Um, and I'm especially grateful that I was able to get the rest of my education paid for. <laughs> because, <laughs> um, like I said, it wasn't cheap. It wasn't cheap mm-hmm. at all. So, mm-hmm. um, and they immediately, I think they were able to retroactively get some of my tuition waived. So I was like, this was great. <laughs> and it, That and was it, a and very it, serendipitous moment. <laughs> you just in yeah. the office for one thing. <laughs> And it was funny because I remember sitting there like, don't forget about your project, Joanna. You coming in here and walking away with a job, but you still got to do this project. And so so I actually had to say, can we pause this conversation for a minute so I could ask you these other questions? Um, And then one thing I will say was that the engineering curriculum at GMI and just the pace of it all and even my time full-time working actually made it a breeze to work and go to school at the same time. So I had been conditioned well to do that, even though I didn't realize it. And of course, the, the curriculum is completely different. I mean, you're not spending time working on these complicated math problems. <laughs> it was a lot more reading Um, So it just, it was a lot easier for me to do and I was able to handle it Mm -hmm. pretty well. Um, Mm -hmm. So that was my introduction to higher ed. And so for the final question, I wanted to know a little bit 
or actually also give you the opportunity to talk a little bit about how counseling um, and your counseling career is related to some of your like outside of work pursuits. And so I hope you don't mind sharing, but I know um, because I subscribe to it that you have a Mm -hmm. YouTube channel. (laughs) And so I wanted wanted, um, to sort of close out with you telling us a little bit about, you know, not only did you find a career in space um, in higher ed, as you were mentioning, that just sort of like suited you to a T to be involved in that developmental phase. But it's also allowed you to like wrap some creative pursuits around it as well. Yeah, I think that um, even though I probably would not have majored in psychology and even going back, even looking back on it, I still don't think I would major in psychology. I'm still rather fascinated with human behavior Mm -hmm. and not just human behavior in general, but human behavior in like just normal functioning day to day life, the things that we struggle with. And. And that that has always fascinated me. So when I had opportunities to learn or take training classes I would always want to learn more about those types of things and how it all at the core, we always had to do some type of self-awareness exercise. And all of that was really, really fascinating to me. And so, and from there, just these small little nuggets that I would learn along the way, I would be able to see how it applied much more broadly and And because I have this engineering background, I always saw stuff from a slightly different perspective. And and, and so I just felt like I had a perspective that perhaps was not as mainstream and that was just a little bit more unique. And I thought that that would have been appreciated a little bit more as I continue to work in higher education, but I realized that a lot of times the only way to generate that type of respect is to actually have an advanced degree or, uh, or a PhD in those particular arenas. And, and I still don't think I want to go back to try to get a PhD um, because my my interests are still very broad. I don't know that there's any one thing that I want to study that in depth to get a PhD Mm -hmm. on, but I still felt like I could offer some level of thought leadership. And I thought again, that it would come through my day-to-day work, but that really wasn't the case. And I wondered over the years, well, how could I get into something like that? I don't particularly want to go back to school. Mm-hmm. And, but how would I, how would I, how would I develop uh, an audience for what I believe I can share with the world? Um, mm-hmm. So I've had those thoughts over the years, and this was pre-social media as well as through the onset of social media and the rise of social media but for a while I didn't 
all I saw was social media as my personal use. I didn't see it as this platform for me to try to do anything much more professionally. Um, But then, sure enough, (laughs) um, as I continued to seek him and try to figure out what, what I would do, I ended up getting the revelation that I could use the platform, all these different platforms to put my thoughts and observations and offer that to the world. And I came up with the idea of harmonious balance. And um, of course, I have a launch video on my channel where folks can listen and watch and learn a whole lot more as to about what that real concept means. Mm-hmm. But the idea is, and the tagline for it is living our best lives, being our better selves and accomplishing the greater good. Because I don't want to know this stuff just to know it. I want to mm-hmm. be able to apply it. And I want people to apply it to their lives so that they can feel good about themselves. Because when you do feel good about yourself, you actually are going to be your better self. You won't actually mind. Um, showing up in situations and try to do the best thing for everybody because you yourself don't feel like you're lacking. So um, so that's kind of the whole idea behind it, that I could take what I've learned and observed and continue to learn and my ability to break it down into digestible, relatable content, and as well as my ability to teach it um I could share that information and people could learn from there and hopefully the outcome would be that they're on the path to living their best lives and they're showing up as their better selves and then they're more inclined to accomplish a greater purpose and do something that'll make a change for the better in this world because I'm convinced that most of what we're contending with are problems that we totally can solve, but we have some individual things that we got to work through. But these are, but these are normal functioning day-to-day people. They're not have, they don't necessarily have uh, deficits or clinical diagnosis of serious disorders, but they're just dealing with day-to-day stuff, but they, they don't know how to, and so they don't they don't seek out the necessary help to actually work through their own issues to overcome whatever may be holding them back from realizing their best selves. So I felt like I could present information in a way that could kind of break through to just the normal functioning population. <laughs> um, <laughs> And because I always thought that some of the other stuff was just way too heavy for me when I would read it and hear about it. I'm exposed to it. I know enough to say to redirect people if that actually comes my way. But I was like, yeah, that's a little too heavy for me. But I do think that the normal functioning person is the one who actually needs a little bit more support. Um, And Mm -hmm. that that actually gets overlooked a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Well, Joanna, thank you so much for sharing that story with us and sharing like your journey from engineering to career counseling, and then also to be able to um, think about how you share your gifts and talents with a broader community that even exists outside of um, higher education. And I also... um, I just want to say I appreciate being on um, a recording with someone who also knows what it's like to get really evasive when people ask you where you went to college. (laughs) (laughs) What I (laughs) decided to do. Yeah, I I tell people I went to a very small engineering college that no one has ever heard of in Flint, Michigan. And at some point, people are looking at me like, did you actually go to college? What you ashamed of? Why? Yeah. Like you, there's so much explaining that you have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, and Lord, with all the what happened with the name change and all, and yes. the multiple it's so names, complicated. Yeah, because people yeah. look at you. I mean, they end up saying, "Well, where is that? What's that?" So I feel like mm-hmm. I have to be ready for all of that. And if I'm not yeah. up for that, I don't want to do it. but I appreciate whenever I'm in the fellowship of other (laughs) GMI slash Kettering travelers it's so complicated we have two degrees y'all it's so complicated out here um right (laughs) so yes but thank you (laughs) for joining me today and again that the YouTube channel is called Harmonious Balance right right the actual handle is harmonious.balance um, okay. And so, and that is where people um, can find you. And I will also um, link to that within the episode description. But again, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you. This was fun. All right. I'll talk with you okay. later. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's it for today. Thanks for joining me. Catch you next time on I Should Go.